Hi, I'm Brad Parker, the attorney you want but hope you never need. And this is another edition of Bar Talk, the musings of attorneys, entrepreneurs, and other interesting people. A podcast by people who don't have to be famous, they just have to be interesting. Each episode will tackle topics big and small, and sometimes tiny, faced by attorneys, entrepreneurs, and other fascinating people who know every day you wake up, it's a good day. But it takes a little more to make it a great one. Well, this is Brad Parker. I'm here today with Jeff Sanford, who is the owner of uh, Juris Fabrillus. Uh, did I say that right? You did. All yes, right. very good. It took me a, <laughs> took me a time or two. Uh, Jeff is uh, a owner of the company who is doing our IT, in fact. And uh, we wanted to get on today a little bit, talk about the IT industry and what uh, his business does. But more importantly, we're all hearing about security issues and uh, malware, all the different things that can happen to your system that uh, you can be held for ransom. Many things that I don't know a thing about and have to trust and rely on somebody. And Jeff does an excellent job at it. I wanted to uh, visit with him a little bit. But first, Jeff, why don't you introduce yourself? Hi there. My name is Jeff Sanford. I am the owner of a little small IT company in Tarrant County called Juris Fabrillis. Um, Our whole goal in life is to provide IT support uh, for law firms, attorneys, uh, folks in the legal services industry. Um, we've been around for about 15 years, and, um, you know, we we try to help our customers, you know, grow with the trends that they need to grow with and, you know, stay in the front edge of technology as opposed to kind of holding them back into the Stone Age. <laughs> well, why, you know, that's a pretty small, select niche. What made you decide on law firms in the legal industry? So two things. The first one was um, it, it's an interesting industry because they're – Lawyers, I think, are normally about four or five years behind uh, technologies just in general terms. But probably the most important reason why is because my wife's a lawyer. <laughs> and I was watching her um, go through some growing pains when she first started out um, where she was doing uh, these letters, these um, letters of representation is what they're called. And she was going through and typing these things basically by hand. And I'm like, is that the same letter every time? And she's like, yeah, just the names change. And I'm like, have you ever heard of a mail merge? And she's like, no. And I'm like, aha, <laughs> opportunity. <laughs> so I taught her how to do that. We built a piece of software, which is kind of how we ended up naming the company. What we did, uh, Jurisrobilis is roughly translated into uh, fabricating law tools. And so we were making little custom software pieces for different firms around the area. But anyway, the mail merge piece happened with her. And, you know, we saw like instant, you know, output uh, time decreases and her, you know, production went up a lot and she was able to get way more stuff out way faster and with a lot more accuracy. And we thought, you know what, that there's probably something to this. You know, my normal background is in systems administration. I've been in IT almost 30 years. Um, so taking a little bit of the software, a lot of, you know, our old sysadmin background, and, uh, you know, our newfound love for attorneys. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Boy, did you choke? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. We didn't throw everything in the bucket and stirred it up, and here's where we sit today. Well, uh, but developing the software and mail merge, I mean, that sounds so ancient. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody's got that now. Right. How did you progress to where your business is now? So it's funny. I think with any business, you have to learn how to pivot, and you have to recognize when things aren't going your way right away. 
And so what happened with us is we started um, with doing the small tools and we weren't really, you know, generating enough revenue to stay, you know, competitive or alive. (laughs) So the second thing that we came up with was a piece of software that was kind of a practice management application for, um, you know, small farms. I mean, it's like you got five or five or six people and you just need people using common information to stay, you know, connected on that level then this was a piece of software that was for them. What we found out really, really early on was that no law firm works the same as the other one. And to try to cram them into a small box like that was really, really impossible. Also, at the same time, there's this company in Cal- uh, in Canada that was coming online called Clio. And Heard of them. they have like government money. <laughs> so it was like, all right, we're going to have to shift gears. I mean, there's no way we can compete with that. Even though our product was kind of similar, um, it, there's just, you can't, you can't compete with money if you don't have any. So um, we did a little bit of a pivot, went back to systems administration, which is kind of a core competency for us. And, um, you know, we've been, we've been rolling ever since. So system administration, I mean, what, what does that mean? So basically what systems administration is, is it is the management of, Data, resources, computers, servers, printers, anything that's in that IT kind of ecosystem, our job is really to manage that thing for our customers. So if someone comes up to us and says, hey, you know, we want to hire you guys to help us with the Office 365 migration project, or hey, we don't have an IT guy, can you help us? Or hey, we need to order, you know, 50 PCs from Dell and we need a better price than we, we can get for retail. All of those things kind of fall into that scope for us. And that's kind of the services that we provide for our customers. Well, I know that we've been uh, using your services for, gosh, a number of years now, probably close to 10 years, seven years. And uh, I have seen it grow uh, just from originally getting some computers all connected up so they can all talk to each other uh, to uh, server issues, iCloud issues, moving our, our email to a different kind of platform. Can you uh, uh, tell us a little bit about how that works? I mean, when you come in, you're doing more than just buying computers and right. setting people up. Right. I mean, go into depth a little bit more about that. I think for us, what we really try to look at is uh, like long-term relationships with our customers. I mean, yes, we can certainly come in and, and do one-off projects, and we can certainly sell you a bunch of computers. But for us, it's all about the long game. We're going to have a much better uh, and a much more successful business, I think, if we're, you know, really connected with our customers and we're really looking out for their best interests and we're really making sure that, you know, they're staying where they need to stay to stay productive. I think with um, most of the production part of it, you know, nobody can make any money if their systems aren't working. (laughs) So, you know, for us, we want to make sure they've got fast computers. We want to make sure that the software works, configurations are right. You know, there's nothing like impeding the attorneys or their staffers from actually completing their work. And since we work specifically with that group, um, it's, it's easy for us to, you know, be pretty aware of tools that are out there that are specialized or, you know, specific for law firms and how they manage documentation how they deal with email, how they share their calendar information. You know, there's all sorts of different things out there. Plus, we have to stay, you know, kind of current with the offerings coming from the OEMs like Microsoft or HP or whoever. So as they're bringing out new stuff to market, we have to kind of be able to take that new stuff and figure out how to apply it for the law firms uh, so they can take better advantage of it faster and less with less money. <laughs> Makes sense. Uh, you know, 
give us an idea of the types of firms that you work with. Are they all one niche or are they different sizes or you try to concentrate on a specific type of size of firm or what do you try to do? I think for us, what we really, there's, there's a niche spot for us and it's basically from zero to a hundred. And I think what happens is, is that if, if a law firm has a hundred users, they probably have their own guy. They probably have an in-house guy that's qualified to do whatever it is they've got to do. When you get into the 70 range, they probably have an in-house guy, but he may be more of like a desktop support guy. And um, they may have server requirements and network application requirements that are you know beyond the scope of what this guy can do. And so we can kind of come in and run the top end of that. Um, so really anything from a solo that, you know, just needs to call us, you know, periodically to figure out why they can't print, <laughs> you know, all the way up to, you know, farms of 50, 60, 70 people that have, you know, 20, 30 lawyers and, and a bunch of staffers that need, you know, we need some like serious IT support. And as a managed service provider, that's the kind of thing that we try to provide to them. But yeah, it's zero to a hundred. <laughs> and are you, are you regionally or do you re- Go outside the DFW Metroplex area? Or? Not really. That, that's another place where we pivoted back a long time ago. Um, when we first started up, we thought, you know what, we can probably be a statewide organization. Um, and then we learned really, really quickly that Texas is not Rhode Island. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not. It's really hard to travel around. And we, you know, we picked up some work in Waco. We picked up some work in San Antonio and, um, you know, and a couple other Wichita Falls. So we were kind of up and down the 35 and, up, you know, 287. But the problem was is that we didn't have enough staff to really make the travel and we really didn't have enough revenue to support, you know, having people in these other locations because we just haven't been around long enough. And so we just we kind of turned back to, and looked in the mirror and said, you know what, we are a Tarrant County IT company that serves law firms. You know, we have a few in Dallas County that we work with, you know, maybe a handful and we have a couple of customers that, you know, work outside of the scope of legal, but um, 95% of who we work with is in Tarrant County. So if somebody's looking to need, a, or they need an IT type mm-hmm. group to provide the services that you provide, why, why your company? You know, I think that if they're in the legal field, I think that our competitive advantage more than anything else um, is that we work with firms. We know the lingo, we know the rules. When someone has to have something filed by a certain time, we understand that that is the deadline. <laughs> it has to be done. There's no, you know, I'll do it tomorrow. Um, you know, we're we're kind of ingrained in the community now since we've been around so long. Um, Tarrant County Bar Association and the foundation is one of our customers we've had for forever. And that was one of the places where we felt it was really important to be able to get in, show what we can do, uh, offer lots of classes on how to, you know, be a better computer user, how to make a pricing calculator, how to manage our email. I mean, all of these different things. We started uh, way back early on uh, working with groups like that to try to, you know, get the word out about, hey, if you're a lawyer and you have an IT problem, these are the guys you need to call. They're good to go. Well, in fact, I think that's how you and I originally met was through the Tarrant County Bar uh, Association. Yeah, yeah it yeah. was. Uh, you mentioned that you've been in this business for about 30 years. I don't want to go into depth, but uh, t- tell everybody a little bit about your background. Okay, so my IT background started when I was in the Marine Corps. and it was this Thanks was, for your service. <laughs> yeah, that was a long time ago, but... Still service. <laughs> this is true. Uh, so this was probably, um, I went in in 1993, so probably about 1994 was when I got my first introduction into 
what you could do with the computer and and really kind of you know take advantage of multiple uses of the same data to kind of like make everything go faster. So a database. And um, I turned a 40 hour work week into a two hour project just by one little piece of dopey software that I wrote a long time ago. And I thought, okay, there's definitely something to this. So when I got out, I went to work for a company based in Chicago, um, worked for them for a bunch of years. And then uh, after that project rolled out, I ended up going to work for Hewlett Packard. When I left there, I was actually like a customer engineer level five. Um, I worked at the data center up there in Centerport. You know, there my, there were six of us on the team. We're responsible for like 1,500 servers. You know, we're on a, you have to have this fixed by in three hours or less. We have like 2 million in parts on site. I mean, it was really upper level, you know, IT. Um, I think going back to the competitive advantage question earlier too, we take that same kind of like really hyper enterprise approach and try to bring it down to the, to the smallers. Uh, I think that they appreciate that. Yeah. So that that's kind of it in a nutshell. Yeah. Yep. Well, you know, from an IT's perspective, I, uh, I'm a member of EO and go to some of these uh, learning events and stuff. And it seems like, inevitably every other one seems to be about cybersecurity or ransomware or something like that way above my pay grade. Uh, but it's got my attention because I know my computer uh, broke down just the other day. And of course the supply chain had the part coming in rather slow, but I had to go a couple of days without a computer while you guys were busy getting me up until the part could come in on, on another spare computer. But I went crazy. Right. I mean, you know, 12 hours or two business days, I think it was, without a computer or limping <laughs> with a sort of computer system, it drove me crazy. And right. I, I found myself totally paralyzed almost right. and not knowing what to do. And I started thinking, you know, if this security issue, this wasn't a security issue, but if I had a security issue, uh, it would be devastating. It's not because of any economic impact on the community, but because of the economic impact on my business and my productivity right. or my staffs. And so, you know, obviously I've been with you for seven years. Uh, nothing like that has ever happened. But what are some of the things that as a small business uh, or even a larger business, I mean, 100 people is not a small business, uh, that are out there that could could affect and impact and how do you protect that's a big question so maybe we just need to walk through it a little slower but. <laughs> no, that's all right that's all right i think i think really if i think the first part of it is everyone needs to understand that the threats are real you know it you hear about ransomware on tv you you know may read about it in the news if you're watching anything about the local situations going on in europe right now you know cyber warfare is is just as important as bullets flying you know for a lot of those folks over there so you kind of have to understand i think right out of the gate that you know it is a thing and be, the fact that you're in a business or you know whether you're working in one or or you own one or whatever the case is you know you've got a responsibility to make sure that you know you can do your job or your people can do their job or your you know you can provide the services to the customers that they're paying for it. And when your systems are all locked up, it's a lot more difficult to do that. <laughs> so um, I think that that's, that's probably the first thing is just being aware. The second is, um, you know, don't let yourself be the low hanging fruit. <laughs> yeah. If you make it really, really easy, then it's easy. So if you put, 
you know, you can put maybe two or three things in place, just extra layers uh, to keep yourself from getting torched. You know, one of the things that we are working on really hard right now is, is dealing with email. There's so much email that comes and goes every single day and every single domain that there is. And, you know, a lot of it is fish. A lot of it's spam. A lot of it has got viruses in it or malware or whatever. And some of it may just have a link to a cat video that some lady clicks on and all of a sudden she's locked up for six months. So, you know, there's a lot of that kind of stuff going on through email as a kind of a conduit to bring the stuff into your network. So we've been working really hard on, you know, helping people identify stuff that's coming from outside of their networks, um, putting spam filters in, doing, you know, geo blocking, making sure that they can't get email from places they don't need to do business in or whatever. A lot of it is people don't really even realize that those things are there. So for us, it's one of those opportunities to come in and say, you know, here's our quarterly review. These are the things we think you ought to do, <laughs> you know, right? because a lot of times folks, if they're so, really kind of dialed in on their own uh, vertical, they don't even know that this stuff's happening or that it's even available. So for us, we can say, hey, you can do this. This will probably decrease this by this much. You know, you don't, you can look here and there and everywhere and, and you know, try to find the little nuggets of uh, information that'll keep uh, folks from torching themselves. Well, I'm backed up. You back us up religiously mm -hmm. through the on an iCloud, I guess, so that the stuff's out there. We don't have to worry about the server going down. If the server goes down, we can bring it back from the iCloud. Correct. Well, we're not actually using iCloud, so that's an Apple product. Um, we're actually using something for you called a Draz system, and what Draz is is it's a disaster recovery as a service. So what we actually have is a a separate appliance. It's kind of like its own server that sits in the computer room with your other gear. And that thing is the local backup for what's going on in the server. And then when it's done with its locals, it takes that same information and then pipes it out to the cloud. So we have a good backup in the cloud and we have a good backup locally. And what our goal with this kind of solution is, is to not really worry about backup so much, but how fast can we recover? I think that's been kind of, you know, our stance moving forward through the rest of this. If you do get locked up, how much time is it going to take me to, to recover? The cool thing is with this particular system that we have in place is that we can rebuild your server on the backup appliance. Or if something happens to the building, we can actually rebuild your server in the cloud. So we can give you a VPN connection and get right back to work. <laughs> and that brought up a great point because it's not necessarily just uh, cyber warfare or cyber attack that might put us out of business or, or slow us down at least. Uh, it's a fire. It's right. a flood. It's a tornado. Hardware failure. Hardware failure. Uh, any number of those things. Right. So you strive to protect us from that kind of deal. But if it is a cyber attack, you know, my thought has always been, well, so what? It, who cares? We've got the backup. We can immediately do. Am I fooling myself? I think that you'll, I, even as fast as you can restore a server, I think at the end of that, you have to go back through and do like remediation work. You got to find out where the gaps are. And then you got to constantly work to fill the gaps. And so if you end up with a situation where you have like one computer that may have ransomware or some other kind of, you know, cyber attack on it or whatever, um, that's one thing. If it gets in where it's kind of infiltrated the entire network, that's something completely different. You know, if it, if something happened to the server, 
you know, it's not just, you know, I can't send my email. It's like our archive files and folders are locked up. We can't print. We can't log in. That thing controls, you know, how traffic goes in and out of the network. So, you know, our phones don't work. I mean, it the dominoes start stacking up really, really quickly. And so then you have to really have a plan in place of, hey, if this happens, what are we going to do? How are we going to do it? And to make sure that that plan is in place. And with a lot of the cyber insurance policy requirements that are out now, having a disaster recovery plan and having a business continuity plan are two of the things that most folks will never get to because they just they don't prioritize it and they don't think that it's super important. But if they do and they have the plan in place and they already have like all those dominoes set up, so to speak, um, it makes it a lot easier to knock them over in the right order <laughs> when you have to do a recovery. Understood. But let me, let me give you an example of something I heard uh, that obviously these guys are very sophisticated. Mm-hmm. And if they do attack you, it's probably not attack you and you feel the effect. It is they've attacked you, attacked you and it may be going on for weeks right. or months. Sure. Because they want to infiltrate your backup system. Right. So that you when you go to try to back up, it's not there. Right. Or it's locked out as well. How do you get around that? I think the best way to do that is again, you have to kind of think like you have to kind of think like the criminal and you have to have a plan. So if we know that that's a threat, then for us, part of our quarterly review on our accounts, especially ones that are in the draft systems, are to actually like kill files out and then go restore and make sure that that whole function continues to work. We also, the the group that we partnered with to actually complete the cloud side of that, um, they can they can do their, um, their recovery options um, testing uh, almost at will. So if we say, hey, you know, we just want to throw this out there, hey, we need to be able to spin this thing up, you know, what kind of condition is it in, that we can get an answer on that really, really quickly. I think for most of us, it really just comes down to, you know, how how much is enough? <laughs> how yeah. much is too much? Because you can, you know, spend a ton of money on this stuff and never really need it. As a business guy, you're looking at it like, well, I want to make sure that, you know, I'm covered, but I don't want to go to the poorhouse because I'm spending all my money on IT services. So, you know, there's there's a little bit of a balance in there somewhere where you you know, at some point you're probably gonna get past that point of no return or, you know, where you're over the hump that you don't want to be over. Um, but at the same time, you definitely want to make sure that you've at least got your planning done and that you've put, you know, a handful of steps in place to be able to, you know, maintain your business, uh, you know, in, in the instance that you've gotten some kind of attack like that. Now, you say planning. Are you talking about me planning or your planning? I think it's a really a combination of both. So while we're very familiar with your IT business, we're not really as familiar with your day-to-day operational stuff. So, you know, how you go about doing marketing or how you go about, you know, generating revenue or, or how you pay your bills or whatever. I mean, a lot of that stuff we don't, we're not really kind of like privy to. So it's important for us to sit down with our customers and say, okay, this is what we would do on the IT side of things for a disaster plan. You know, what, what tenants inside of your business are the most critical? You know, is it your billing system? I like, well, we've outsourced that, you know, it's in another location. Okay, well, at least we know that. <laughs> We're not having to find it out on the way. Um, you know, if there's um, a practice management system or critical files or, you know, the crown jewel documentation for the company, 
we would just want to know, you know, where it is, how it is, so we can plan to recover, you know, as its critical number goes higher. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it does. Uh, how, I mean, is that, does that take a lot of time? On Not the really. Part? Not really. I think most of it um, really kind of comes down to um, just a, a couple of conversations, really. You know, I mean. Have you had those conversations with us? Uh, I've had them with Angela. <laughs> good, good. Well, that's the one to have them with, for sure. Not me. <laughs> I think what happens is over time, a lot of um, a lot of folks, you know, they kind of build their own file structures and they put files all over the place. And, it, and it's kind of hard to, to figure out where all this stuff is, especially if you're doing it under the gun. So while we'll have those same conversations about business continuity and disaster planning, we'll also have them about, you know, file retention, you know, a lot of this stuff where stuff just gets laid around and it's just piling up everywhere. It's like, what's important, what's not. It's harder to find it if it's not organized. And we see that a lot, you know, when we're either going in after another company and cleaning up or if we're helping somebody start out right away. It's like you really have to think about how you want the structure to work, because if we have to recover it, the cleaner it is and the more sense it makes, the faster the recovery is going to go. So a good systematic uh, file system uh subdirectory directory and and just knowing good business practices overall right Right. yeah just clean it i mean you know if you have um if you have user folders you know in some directory somewhere that where everybody can like store their stuff on the network or whatever that's a critical piece of information because everybody's stuff is in there so we would need to know number one it's backed up it's being tested you know the recovery tests are working everything is good to go but if someone had gone out and created their own folder in another location, we didn't know, and it wasn't part of the backup routine, then what do you do? It's like, oh, that just happened to be our QuickBooks file. Yeah, recreate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> After you jump off the bridge. You that's know, right. Gosh. Well, okay, so that's that part of it. But the other thing you mentioned was multi-factor authentication. What's, yes. What does that mean? What okay. is that about? The, the, best def, the best definition that I've been able to kind of like either find or come up with on this is that multi-factor means more than one, right? So it's something that you can kind of break it down into something that you have and something that you know. So those two things combined will be like a two-factor authentication, which is pretty common today if you're logging into your bank or your email or your payroll system or whatever. It's the part where they send you the code. <laughs> After you log in with your username and password, which is something that you know, they'll send you a code to a text uh, on your phone, which is something that you have. And so the combination of those two things makes it way less likely that um, someone can, you know, steal credentials and, and gain access to the systems. Not the low-hanging fruit. Not low-hanging fruit. And the funny thing is, is that it's not impossible to implement 2FA um, when one of the other things that we do with a lot of our firms is kind of help them review their cyber insurance applications. And almost every one of them has 2FA um, as a primary component of what they're wanting to do. And it's gotten to the point now where it's not even just, you know, 2FA on your email systems like Office 365 or Google or whatever, um, but they want multi-factor authentication on your remote access to your own office. So if you're using, you know, like a Cisco router set or a sonic wall or something like that, whenever you type your credentials into your VPN client, it'll send you a code (laughs) and you have to type the code in to continue on. And a lot of folks, it's funny, you know, it's a, it's, it only takes an extra second to type the code in, but a lot of folks really will dig their heels in on that. You know, I don't have time for that. 
He's like, you you should make time for that. Yeah, <laughs> when the microwave is too slow on cooking, you know you've been spoiled. That's right. That's right. Well, okay. For for instance, I don't have a, a I don't get an authentication code when I log on to my email every morning. Right. So that is a combination of a couple of different things. Number one. Multi-factor may or may not be on. I can't really tell everybody on the podcast what your system's right, all about. Right. So, it, I appreciate you not. <laughs> <laughs> we'll leave it like this. It either is or it isn't. So um, that can be one part where 2FA is just not enabled, and that's why you don't get the code. The second thing is is that if you're using Outlook or some other application, you may be using something called an app password. And basically what that is is it's kind of a lock and key type of setup where – this version of Outlook and that version of Office 365 are kind of keyed together based on this 2FA password. Okay. So it keeps it from being super inconvenient where you have to type in a code every time you open Outlook, um, but it also gives you a, that second layer of protection. You know, it's been configured for so long. And all the times and all that stuff, it's all very configurable through, you know, the uh, Office 365 tenant. I mean, you can go in there and say, you know, we want to do challenges every time you log in or, you know, every 10th time you log in or whatever the case is. I mean, it's all very, very, very customizable. So I'm, pr- I'm protected. You're good to go. Okay. Great. <laughs> I knew I was. I just uh, liked a little reassurance every now and then. The, uh, uh, you, you put all this in place, but you're still vulnerable. And it's my understanding, and you correct me if I'm wrong, the vulnerability then becomes the human factor because – more likely than not, they're going to come in through an email Absolutely. that somebody's going to open and they shouldn't have. And, and no matter what kind of authentication you've got, no matter what kind of backup you've got, once you open that email, it lets them in. Right. And, and that's really kind of, you know, if you look at any of the studies that are, are articles or anything really that where people are kind of like looking at, you know, security threats as what's going on, how, do, how are they getting in? Over 95% it's coming through email. And, you know, even people that are trained up will make mistakes. You know, we have um, a group that we've done some work with for a bunch of years. And there was a spoofed email that came in and it looked legit. And it was to change somebody's, you know, payroll to a new bank account. And it was like, okay. And so the guy didn't get paid and the bad guy got paid. (laughs) And so, you know, that's, that's part of it too, where, you know, once you introduce the people, it, it, it's really, really, really hard to manage that. So the best that you can do really is training um, and, and provide them as much protection layers as you possibly can. Now, one of the things that we've been working on in Office 365 as of the last couple of weeks is um, marking uh, email that's coming into uh, a domain with an external tag if it's coming from an outside source. So you can do that with just setting up some simple rules that just, you know, if if, it, if I get an email from parkerlawfirm.com, then it just puts external in the subject line. So it's just a visual cue. But now um, the exchange part of Office 365 is actually allowing you to kind of go in and, and have that tag that way um, without even having to go set up an extra rule. So. You know, there's a million ways to notify people. Um, there's phishing training uh, simulators that you can put in to send out, you know, emails that are, you know, kind of like bait. <laughs> you know, that's a great idea. Yeah, and, and what's really cool about it is because it's all, you know, kind of its own system, then the people that are doing the testing get feedback 
on what the people are looking at. So if they click on it, if they just open it, if they forward it, you know, if they click all the way through, you know, you'll get all that feedback. And for, you know, some of the larger firms, you know, it, it may make more sense to do that because you've got, you know, a lot of people that it's hard to manage. Um, and then you may just have one person that just can't help themselves. <laughs> and so once you find that person, then you can really spend, you know, a lot more, you know, training, training, education. Yeah, it's yeah. just it's resources on the on the on the part that needs it instead of, you know, doing like a blanket, you know, everybody in the firm is going to have to do 50 hours of, you know, CE work <laughs> on, you know, phishing emails. Nobody wants to do that. No. But if you've got one person that's really kind of really struggling with it, you can really focus your training, you know, dollars on that person instead of spending it on everybody. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. You know, we've incorporated it, uh, just talking about it. We have our, our weekly meetings, case meetings, and every so often we just talk about it. And then, of course, I'll get spammed with something and I go, hey, is this legit? And Angela immediately yells, no, <laughs> get rid of it immediately because they do find their way in. Right. And, and you've got to be careful uh, about it. I know one of the, the ones that I routinely get I say routinely, seems like I get it uh, every so often, is a fax. Mm -hmm. Somebody wants to send me a fax, and I'm going, we don't have electronic fax, right. you know? And, and and if we do, it's above my pay grade, and I'm not opening the thing. Right. And I also have seen it on uh, after-hour calls that go to a recording mm -hmm. that we have. It comes in on a platform that looks totally different, right. but it says it's a voicemail that was left for me. Right. And I go, no, 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 no. All they're I'm, trying to do is get you to open that attachment, man. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and, you know, we have a lot of our customers that will send us the that stuff the same way. Hey, is this legit? And our, our rule of thumb with the email is, like, even if it is legit, if you if, – if the way that I always put it is, like, if it smells like a fish, it's a fish. So if, if you get a piece of email that's on an e-fax from someone who doesn't do business with you that way, it's a fish. And so, you know, it, even if it is important, you delete that one, they'll call you. <laughs> yeah, they will. Or follow up with it. Well, why are, you know, where well, are you? Why are you ignoring <laughs> yeah. my emails? Like, oh, I thought it was a virus. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. It's a good excuse. Good excuse. Well, what we've kind of talked about it, but in a nutshell, what's, what's the, as a small business owner uh, in a legal industry uh, like, like I am, what is the best thing that they can do to protect their business? I think the best thing that they can do to protect their business is just like personal awareness. You know, I mean, we can put like all the technology in place to, you know, until the cows come home. But really, like we were just talking about one person can really kind of cause a ton of problems. So I think personal awareness, you know, understanding that people are out there that are trying to take, you know, advantage of the situation and not everything that you read online is true, <laughs> you know? So when you, you when, mean the Google isn't always accurate. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Well, maybe it help you find stuff you don't really need to know about. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> that wormhole. Gosh. Well, um, I want to kind of focus just for, uh, in the closing moments here on, on insurance, because okay. I think all of us have seen, you can buy cyber insurance yep. and as a lawyer and in some of my business meetings, there's a there's a strong feeling that the insurance may not be right for a smaller business, and I may be totally wrong on, on my observation, but that the requirements yes. for the insurance are so onerous mm -hmm. that as a small business, you probably aren't going to fulfill them in some form or fashion, and therefore your claim is going to be denied if and when you ever make a claim on it. Right. I think that that's 
I know how I know how you are about insurance companies. <laughs> I, I I have a problem with them. Yes, that's true. And so we've actually taken a page out of your book on how we deal with our customers when they're actually when they're asking about um, cyber insurance, uh, the questionnaires and the applications and the renewals and everything else. And you know, we really we take the approach of like, look, they don't want to pay you. And so if you sign yes, I've got all this crap, and you submit it and you try to file a claim and they do their audit on you and you don't have the stuff in play or if it wasn't in, in place in time, they're not going to pay the claim. So what we've tried to do is really get out ahead of that situation. So trying to, a lot of the things that we're putting in now for some firms are, you know, like email filtering, you know, DNS filtering where we're, we're able to kind of see what's coming out, the, you know, the, the back end of the network. Uh, there's just there's all sorts of tools that, to monitor all this stuff, and so um, basically on the compliance piece of it, it really kind of comes down to you know we're we're we can put these things in play, um, you can have them done and ready to go, um, but the game changes like every year, and so what we've really tried to do is start to kind of and and trying to be in front of it, we try to do maybe like a, a quarter before the renewals are ready to go to get in and say, okay, this is the stuff we're seeing now. These are the questions that they're asking this year. You know, it gives us a little more time to kind of like put a solution in place that can, you know, meet or exceed those uh, requirements by cyber insurance uh, than opposed to trying to, you know, crowbar something in at the last second. Because, you know, if you're doing something really fast like that, you're going to make mistakes. It's not going to work right. right. But if we, you know, can have some time to plan and have some time to, um, you know, really get the solution in place the right way, then not only will it meet the cyber requirement, but it will also, you know, give you another layer of protection based on whatever it is that you're having to put in. And, you know, some of my colleagues have, have expressed a, an opinion that the premiums seem to, to skyrocketed or, yeah. or have gone up significantly and that they believe to some, I mean, there are some default minimal coverages that apply kind of no questions asked. I think that the company's right. But if you really want to up it, the premiums start increasing and it requires you of course then to spend more money on your it to be sure you are protected and you have right. those things in place and uh, i guess it kind of comes back to a business decision on the part of the, all the business owners i mean you never want to uh, be too vulnerable right. out there and and know the risks but it's just something i guess everybody has to sit down and evaluate do i want to spend money here do i want to spend money there and how low of a hanging fruit am i right and it's funny that you say that too because i think with a lot of the um like it spending i think traditionally a lot of people just look at that as like a money pit you know it's a black hole I, i'm not getting anything out of this I call that marketing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <No. laughs> exactly. <laughs> but I, I think that if you can kind of move away from being like a vendor into a trusted advisor role, it, it really changes kind of like the scope of what IT can be. And, you know, for for us and our customers, you know, we want to we want to be that trusted advisor. You know, we want to be a trusted resource. You know, if you guys have any questions, if we take something to you and say, hey, look, this is important. You know, you need to sit down and really kind of evaluate this and make sure you either do or don't want to do it, but make sure you have a good reason why, then I think that that's enough. 
you know, I don't think you have to just throw tons and tons and tons of money into IT, although we'll be glad to take it. Sure. <laughs> Absolutely. I don't think you have to like overspend on it. I think you can you can get quality protection um, and meet the requirements for not like significant money. And that's one of the things that we've been doing over the last two years, especially is doing tons of research, tons of vendors, really kind of like, you know, vetting these groups. Um, hey, look, we're, we can get this for this. This is a great price. It offers all of these things. This is something that, you know, will work for 95% of our customer base. And then we bring that in as an offering, you know, and then we're, we're building out a security platform it's like, look, we can check all these boxes by adding in this, this, and this, and you know your cost per unit goes, you know, to whatever that number is going to be. But it's um, we've already done the research, <laughs> you know, we've already kind of really looked through the whole thing to make sure that what we're bringing in is going to work. And obviously, we don't want to be putting in software or solutions that are, you know, not good solutions that doesn't do anything for our reputation so we need to make sure that stuff that we're putting in there has really been gone through with the fine tooth comb and i it's not one size fits all either is no. it mm-hmm. i mean it kind of depends on what you're doing how you're doing it and the level of uh, uh just knowledge on part of the business owner and their staff i guess to some right. extent. yeah i think that that's really true and you know and a lot of it especially when you're making your selections a lot of it really depends on you know which insurance underwriter is sending you the applications, right? Because what we've gotten applications in probably every insurance company there is to help our lawyer friends, you know, be able to take this really technical language and, you know, turn it into regular, I can understand this language. And some of them will have like eight questions and some of them will have like 50. And so, you know, depending on who's sending you that information and and everything else you need to do, you know, it can take, you know, quite a few hours of just being able to get through it all. And the funny part about this too, is it's not only insurance companies that are sending this information out, these requests for, you know, your security posture, big corporations are sending that down to farmed out lawyer groups to make sure that if they're doing business with that firm, that that firm's back end is squared away. Those questionnaires can get up to over a hundred line items, and they're like really intrusive. <laughs> well, that that's a great point because you know, obviously, my business as a personal injury attorney, I'm uh, a business to consumer, right. and and so I'm not going to have that coming back. But right. for the law firms out there that are doing business and corporate type work, sure, they are getting those kinds of questions from yeah, there. Absolutely, and being here in the Fort Worth area, I mean, you know, Lockheed's just right up the street. You know, and they have to farm stuff out and, you know, all the, all the, you know, anybody that's loaning money, <laughs> you know, they need attorneys to kind of help them make sure their I's and T's are dotted and crossed. You know, a lot of that stuff, you know, it, it those those questionnaires come in and, and the, what, what the customer is asking for in terms of data security is significantly more complicated and, and complex than what the insurance companies are asking. Really? For. That's yeah. interesting. Yeah. So it's, it, while insurance is the focus today, I think for most folks, um, the fact that their customers are requiring that they step up their game is a whole nother deal. So uh, without question, IT has become a uh, more integral part of all of our practices. Yeah. Uh, all business general. I mean, when I first started practicing law, fax machines just came out with thermal paper. <laughs> and, and who uses a fax anymore? Not me. <laughs> you know, it's it's crazy. Uh, you know, I, I, I just want to plug you, Jeff. You have been a great, 
great IT person for us. You are responsive. Your staff is responsive. We send an email. It's done like that. I alluded to a moment ago that my computer crashed. I didn't want to give the impression that you left me two days without anything. You didn't. <laughs> I just have so much on my hard drive that it had to be downloaded into another computer. You got me back up and running almost immediately. Yep. And uh, it just seemed like uh, 12 excruciating hours. It's probably only about two, but it just seemed like an eternity. But uh, it, it's like any business, no like and trust. Right. And, uh, you know, that's one thing I think you absolutely bring to the table is that your your trustworthiness and your ease of conversation. You know, you can boil it down to, to something I can understand and appreciate in a few few minutes sure. and not have to talk until my eyes roll over in the back of my head going, please stop. <laughs> you know, I don't understand anything you're saying. You, you, you make funny. it make sense. How can, uh, if people want to know more about you and your company and, and what you provide, how what's the best way to reach out to you? Really, the best way to reach out to us is... Um, Email, phone, or website. So our website is jurisforrealist.com. You better spell that. I'm going to. (laughs) It's J-U-R-I-S, like Sam, and then F-A-B-R-I-L-I-S.com. And it's there's not two L's because it would be Fabrius. <laughs> Is that something you spray in the air? <laughs> That's right. It's kind of more of a play on tortilla, but you know. <laughs> but our our main number uh, to the office is eight one seven four eight one one five seven three. Um, you can hit extension zero. Anybody that uh, picks up the phone is a is a technical resource for you. They can you know get you started right away. Help you with whatever problems you've got. Um, if you uh, want to reach out to me directly, it's Jay Sanford at Um If it's a support-related question, support at com, and uh, the guys will uh, they'll step up and get you going. Well, I'll say we uh, uh, have had a lot of conversations over the years, not all of them involving IT, a lot of, <laughs> lot of music and other things. This is true. Uh, but the one thing I, I've always appreciated is if I bring you an issue and you go, I don't really think that's right for your business, and here's why. Mm-hmm. I've always appreciated that because you do see it as a money pit. Sure. You know, as a business owner, you go, golly, you know, how much am I going to spend? And uh, I've always appreciated the the kind of just straightforward, no, you don't need this. Yes, I would really encourage you to think twice about this right. issue is, is well appreciated. And I don't think you get that from every vendor out there. Uh, oftentimes, they want to sell you, sell you, sell you, sell you. Right. I think a lot of that comes from my old days at the old HP. You know, when I was there... It was the rules of the garage and, you know, it was before the compact merger and it was all about customer relationships and it was all about the long game. You know, it was never about, I'm going to sell this guy a bunch of toner, a bunch of paper for his printer. It's like, I'm going to sell him a badass printer and then he's going to call me, you know, when he needs anything because I've sold him a quality piece of gear and it's going to last forever. And so I've take that same approach uh, with the company here, you know, it's all about, I need customers that are going to be here for a long, long, long time. I don't, I don't want a customer that's going to be around for a year. I don't need that. I would rather have somebody that's been around seven, eight, 10, 15 years, you know, that way we know their business, you know, they know we're good to go. And it, it's just a better, um, it's, it, it, we were able to work as a better unit that way, yeah. you know, you guys, us together is going to be way better than, you know, one-offs yeah no question about it well i really appreciate you taking the time to visit with me today absolutely and uh, anything else you'd like to add you know just don't be an easy mark (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> was it like the old bear thing? You know, your buddy runs past you. Why are you running so fast? Because there's a bear chasing me. You can't outrun that bear. Don't have to just outrun you. That's right. That's <laughs> so, right. Don't be don't be the uh, don't be the easy mark. That's um, if you can if you can do that, you're good to go. Sounds great. Thanks again, Jeff. Yeah, Appreciate thanks, it. Thanks, Brad. Appreciate it. I'm Brad Parker, the attorney you want but hope you never need. And thanks for listening to another edition of Bark Talk, the musings of attorneys, entrepreneurs, and other interesting people. If you like our show and want to know more, check out our website at parkerlawfirm.com. Or please leave us a review on iTunes, Spotify, or your preferred podcast outlet. See you next time.